0: Luke chapter 6 in your Bibles, I want you to notice, again, this very familiar narrative here in this chapter, a pattern that's repeated really throughout all the Gospels. Verse 17 says, and he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people. Now, I want you to notice in that verse this distinction, and it is a distinction between the company of his disciples and, quote, a great multitude of people. Now look at verse 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. Again, there's this great multitude, lots of people, who come to Jesus for his miracles, his signs, his healings. They want to just touch him. And then there's verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on His disciples. Now I want to ask you a question. Why is Jesus only, quote, lifting up his eyes here on his disciples, and thus now teaching just the disciples? Where's this great multitude? Well, the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel tells us why. You'll notice on the screen, I think it'll be up there, Matthew chapter four. And you'll notice first of all, verse twenty five. It says, And there followed him great multitudes right again same pattern but the very next chapter of chapter 5 verse 1 says and seeing the multitudes he Jesus went up into a mountain and when he was set it says his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying well there you have it the multitudes stayed down in the plain the disciples followed the Lord up into the mountain And again, as we noted, this was a pattern with our Lord and his ministry. You'll notice again on the screen John chapter 6. John chapter 6, and this is not the Sermon on the Mount. This is a different occasion, and it says in verse 1 these words. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him. Why? Well, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. But then it says, and Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. All right, so here again, beloved, you have this clear distinction between the great multitude, multitudes, and disciples. Now, all of these people presumably are following Christ. All of them on some level are identified with Christ, which is precisely why there are so many of them, great multitudes of people. The question is this. The question is, what happens when the cause for that great crowd, the reason for the great multitudes, decides to climb a mountain? What happens when the Lord Jesus, instead of just healing, miracle working, sits down to teach? He sits down to teach and to warn and to admonish. Well, the disciples keep on following. They follow up the mountain and away from the plain and into the wilderness and away from the crowd. And so what about that great multitude? Why didn't they follow him up the mountain? Well, folks, they didn't follow him, all of them, because there's a difference. There is a difference between the multitudes and the disciples. There is a difference between those who follow Jesus for his miracles, the loaves and the fishes and the healings and the signs and the wonders. There's a difference, beloved, between those who follow him in the plains for their physical and their material needs and those who follow him up for eternal and spiritual truths. And beloved, that difference is what I hope we'll consider very carefully this morning. Because you know what? It's never the people in the plain who follow Jesus all the way to the cross. It's never the great multitudes whom Jesus, whom the Lord calls his remnant who say with Paul, I have finished my course, I've kept the faith, who hear the words one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's not the sign seekers whose children and grandchildren are found faithful. No, it has always been those followers of our Lord who aren't concerned with popularity or prosperity or personality but rather to those who simply follow Christ because they know he is God they know he is Lord and they know that he is worthy let's pray father we are grateful for your word we need we need to hear it and heed it and i pray you'll help us please god help us to cast aside for this next few moments lord cast aside any and all distractions any sin between us and you father please help us through the blood of christ to hear to heed what the Spirit saith to the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There are three things about these mountains in our Lord's ministry I want us to consider in light of his call to follow him. You know, it's interesting in the Gospels how that our Lord Jesus had compassion. He had great compassion on the multitude. He loved the multitudes. He fed the multitudes. He gave of himself to the multitudes. And really, that's how we all ought to be. If we could just fill this building up with people ten times over, it would be a wonderful thing. Our Lord cared for the multitudes, and he was full of compassion. But let me tell you what he wasn't. He wasn't impressed with the multitude. Matthew 5 said, and seeing the multitude, Jesus, when he left, he went unto a mountain. It doesn't say, and seeing the multitude, he ran for office. He took an offering. He told him to smash that like button. In fact, can I show you some scriptures, and I'll have these on the screen as well, just as an example. Matthew 13, verse 36, and Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, declare unto us the parable of the tares and the field. He sent the multitudes away? You know any other preacher that does that? You say, well, that's unusual. Chapter 14, verse 22 of Matthew. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. In chapter 15, you'll notice on the screen these verses. And they that did eat were 4,000 men beside women and children, and he sent the multitude, sent away the multitude and took ship. Now, folks, you get the point, right? We could go on and on with this through the Gospels. Our Lord was not enamored. He was not dictated by the crowd. He loved them. He fed them. He ministered to them. He called to them, but he never catered to them. And part of that is because he knew that most of them, that is the vast majority, would never follow him up the mountain. There's a difference between a disciple and a crowd. Yes, While all disciples are followers, not all followers are disciples. The question is, how about us? This is a Sunday morning crowd. How about you and me? Do we seek Jesus just for comforts? Do we come to church and seek the Lord and read his word just for our needs and our stuff? Or will we and do we keep following up the mountain just for him? Three considerations this morning. The first one I want you to understand, number one, is the mountain is harder. Luke chapter 6 in our text, and you'll look at what it says. Our Lord, not to the multitude, by the way, he didn't say this to the crowd. He only said this to the disciples who followed him up. Luke 6 and verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be you poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Yesterday in men's prayer meeting, one of our men said that he's witnessing to someone, they have a community pool there, and he was witnessing to someone, a gentleman, and As long as they talked about politics or sports and bowl games and all the rest, it was all good. But when he mentioned the Lord, he went to the deeper side of the pool right away. They'll separate you. You know, one of the most amazing things to me about election years, it happens every cycle. And it's one of the truly bizarre elements to me is how every four years or every two years, politicians suddenly discover the Bible. Right? All of them. They quote Proverbs and Corinthians and Amos and Matthew and John. They talk about how inspiring Jesus has been in their life. And then they meet with the Pope or they go out and visit a Bible college. Or they mention their prayer life, their favorite hymn or their favorite verse. And you would think, if you were dropped here from another planet, you would think they're all members of a Bible-believing church. Which, of course, is absurd. It's pandering. And the reason why it's pandering is that these candidates who are running for office, they know perfectly well that the multitude, the great multitude, sort of, kind of follow Jesus, and they like to hear that stuff. So it's effective. And it remains effective until verse 22. You see the word reproach. The word hate. Separate. Cast out your name. You see, beloved, the Lord didn't tell the multitude to be prepared for persecution. You ever notice that? He never told that great multitude of people that that they're going to hate you for my name's sake. He didn't talk to the big crowds about being slandered for his name's sake and called all kinds of false pejoratives. And that's because the crowd who follows Jesus isn't slandered. The great crowd. The crowd who takes this easy road, if you will, isn't committed enough on things like abortion or marriage or the gospel or sin or his church to ever be that identified with Christ. Let me remind you that it was the same crowd who, on one day, cried out, Hosanna. It was the multitude who cried out, Hosanna, in favor of Jesus. Only a few hours later, also cried, Crucify him. The same crowd. That crowd, the multitudes are never willing to suffer with Christ. I reminded one of our little kids, one of the kids who came home from junior church. He was shouting, walked into his house, give us rabbits, give us rabbits. And his mom said, what are you talking about? Give us rabbits. The boy said, you know, mom, when the pilot, pilot said, who should I release unto you? Brother Kevin said, they said, give us rabbits. Well, they said, give us barabbas, but, and that's not nearly as fun as give us rabbits. But that's the same crowd. The same crowd who said, Hosanna, here, said, Give us Barabbas or rabbits over here. And let me remind you that this is the so called tolerant, non judgmental, loving, compromising, unifying, all inclusive, broad minded crowd who loves and tolerates anyone and everyone except the disciples, except those who are sold out to Christ. Disciples who are slandered and reviled and falsely labeled and persecuted for righteousness' sake, Jesus said. And in that regard, yes, the mountain is harder. Anybody who follows Christ fully is misunderstood, marginalized, maligned, and as the text says, in the minority. The mountain is harder. The second thing I want you to notice, number two in the text, is the mountain is higher. You "Pastor, that's obvious, but what do you mean by that? Well, by higher, we're referring to truth. Luke chapter 6, notice Jesus' words and teaching. The doctrine is higher up on that mountain. Of course it is. Verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Hey, what did he say, pastor? He said what? I can tell you what he said. Read it. He said things on the mountain that he never said to the multitudes. Why not, Brother Blaylock? Well, mainly because they didn't want to hear it. And do you realize he proved that over and again that they didn't want to hear it on a few occasions when, to a great multitude of people, Jesus taught one single, quote, hard saying. And in one message, he evaporated the crowd. One time he had to turn to his disciples and say, Will you also go away? Just the ones who remained. It's an amazing thing to see massive crowds who gather in the name of Jesus. They talk about healing and prosperity and blessing and and goodies in a two, three-hour service filled with excitement, sometimes rock and roll, emotional appeal, fanfare, and production, none of which, by the way, are on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's an amazing thing. These crowds, you know, you've seen them. I've been to some of them. They're so into it, exciting Until the doctrines and demands of Scripture are presented, if at all, suddenly the thrill is gone. The mountain is higher. It's higher in truth. It's higher in doctrine. It's higher in God's demands. I remember when I was 14 years of age, really involved with our youth group and growing now as a fairly new Christian And we had lots of activities, and one of our activities, we all went to a huge Southern Gospel concert, three-day event. I absolutely loved Southern Gospel music, living in North Carolina. It was everywhere if you were a Christian. And so we all went, our youth group, and every group was there that we always idolized, the Florida boys, the Gaithers, the cathedrals. I knew every word of every song. And I got to tell you, folks, it was fun, man. It was loud, and it was big, and it was entertaining, and it was foot-stomping fun. It was a production. And I remember thinking, man, I wish I could sing like Roy Trimble. You know, Roy was this tenor who could hit these high C notes. And the girls loved him, which is why I wanted to be like him, obviously. (laughs) So carnal. (laughs) They all wore these matching three-piece plaid suits. 1973. Remember the leisure suits? Oh, mercy. (laughs) And you know, it seemed to me that every song we heard... Those three days almost was about heaven. You ain't heard nothing yet. Gonna shout all over glory. Redemption draweth nigh. Tears will never stain the streets of this city. Eight tracks were selling like hotcakes. And of course, it was awesome to me. How This was all new to me, how they could get thousands of people on their feet. And yeah, we had a blast. The first night when the concerts were over, we're all on our bus trying to sing about glory and high tenor. And we finally get to a hotel. And our chaperone says, okay, guys, don't forget, group devotions before lights out. And I remember everybody, all of us teenagers, of course we were, looked at him like, really? Are you crazy? It's midnight, Bible time? We seriously have to read the Bible and talk scripture before we go to bed? Well, we did gather in the hallway of that hotel. And our poor leader, Chuck. Matter of fact, Crystal uh, Ansley, you met him, gave me a hat from him when you went to that, that seminar up there. And he's reading the Bible, and nobody's really paying attention. Half of them are asleep, the other half are talking and laughing about this or that through the night. And it was the same story the next night, and same guys who were swinging from the rafters just hours before at the concert couldn't pay attention to the Bible for 10 minutes. And I'm not excluding myself, I was struggling. Fast forward about 25 years, and I'm pastoring when we were over on Center Street, and I get a phone call out of nowhere. And it was from one of those chaperones and deacons of that very same church. And we started talking about me riding the bus and getting saved and all the things we did in their missions trip to Mexico. And then we started talking about that concert and how awesome it was. He was one of the chaperones. And we talked about it for a while, and after we hung up, I realized something. The thing that we reminisced with fondness weren't the outfits or the jokes, and there were lots of them, the skits, or the reasons we all jumped out of our seats. We really didn't talk or rejoice in one single thing that got the crowd all excited those three nights, but I do remember all three of Mr. Nicholas's Bible lessons when we were yet almost half asleep. In fact, as I think back on it, I remember that it was really those devotions, as brief as they were, that convicted my heart directed my steps in the months and the years to come and don't get me wrong I'm all for fellowships and activities and excitement and I am absolutely for good music because God is and that's why you ought to take advantage of the ones in the lobby but if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ then you're going to have to go higher than whatever it is that excites the big big crowd what was it that Jesus said just to his disciples and high on that mountain He said things like this, look at verse 47. Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings, whosoever cometh to me heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation upon a rock. Those are rock-solid Christians there, you see. In Matthew on the mountain, he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of my word shall pass away. The mountain is higher It is higher in devotion and truth and doctrine and demands and revelation. And it remains to this day one of the great, great differences between the crowd and the disciples. How firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord has laid for your faith in his excellent word. You know the first verse of that great hymn that I just read a moment ago? Is the basis for the people in the last verse. The last verse says, The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I cannot desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Where are those Christians today? Who has that kind of faith and that kind of resolve and that kind of strength to endure? Not the crowd. Not the crowd. Only the disciples of his excellent word. The mountain is harder, the mountain is higher. Number three, I also want you to notice finally the mountain is happier. You see the word blessed there in verse 21, blessed are ye. Verse 22, blessed are ye. And of course in the companion text, the blessed continues verse after verse. You know this. You know, beloved, the word blessed means happy. But how can a harder thing, how can a harder thing be happier? Well, let me ask you a question as an illustration. Who seems happier to you? That little spoiled 14-year-old princess who's been given everything she ever wanted her entire life and who's been provided an ocean of self-esteem to swim in every single day and her coddled life until she's so entitled and insufferable that nobody can bear to endure her whining, complaining, and demands. Or the 14-year-old girl I met in Monterey, Mexico, who was born and raised in absolute poverty, but whose smile never left her face in the 17 days we were there. When she came in church and she sang, you could see that she was singing because she had a song on her heart. Now, folks, I only use that example because everybody knows that it's true here. Easy doesn't equal happy. The most miserable, dissatisfied, and unfulfilled, frustrated people I've ever counseled are the crowd Christians. People who follow Jesus afar off. Just seem like they're always disgruntled. The blessed ones are the disciples. You know, the Bible says that some of this multitude did follow. A few of them followed Jesus up the mountain. They weren't necessarily the same as the disciples, but at least they heard. And you know, but here is exactly what they heard. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, it may be on the screen. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes this was the reaction when they listened in on the sermon on the mount astonished not just as his healings or his signs or his miracles but it says astonished at his doctrine and his authority do you know that that's the secret to peace to purpose to faith you know who you belong to and you're surrendered to him genuine happiness and real fulfillment and joy and peace ultimately comes to those whose faith has found a resting place. You know whose you are and who you are. You just know it. I'll put it this way. All those people who followed Jesus, the great multitudes, the smaller crowds, the disciples themselves... All of them, just like everybody in this room right now under the sound of my voice, all of them were trusting and leaning and resting something on something and somewhere with their lives. The sermon our Lord gives here and calls the Beatitudes is basically our Lord encouraging the disciples that they are blessed and they are filled because they are leaning on the right thing. They have found a sure fact. That's the source of true purpose. You know, William Carey has an intriguing engraving on his tombstone. I'll remind you that William Carey is one of the most faithful, inspirational missionaries in all of of history. There's not many men in history as missionaries who gave encouragement and strength and testimony that caused other people to go into the mission field like William Carey did in the 17th century. He was short. He was sickly. He was homely, they said. He was injured in 1817. It left him with a permanent limp. He spent 40 years in obscurity. He translated the entire Bible into six languages and the New Testament into 29 other languages. The hardships that he endured are almost hard for us to comprehend in our society today. In 1812, when a fire destroyed dozens of his manuscripts which represented years and years of his labor. He wrote to his friend, Andrew Fuller, these words, how unsearchable are the ways of God. The Lord is too wise to err. He didn't get bitter. When he died in 1834 in Serampore, they engraved his own words. The words he asked to be engraved on his tombstone, and it said simply this. William Carey, 1761, 1834. A wretched, poor, helpless worm, on thy kind arms I fall. All over the world, people wanted to know, quote, William Carey's secret. In fact, books were written titled William Carey's secret. How could a man who endured so much hardship and opposition and many times loneliness have so much joy? He was known for his joy, for his victoriousness, for his happiness. And his simple answer was, on thy kind arms I fall. William Carey simply knew who he belonged to. That's the secret of the blessed life. It is that assurance. It is an assurance and a faith and a joy. I want you to hear this carefully. That only comes to those who follow Jesus up the mountain. I desire that for myself. I desire that for my children and my grandchildren. And I desire for every one of you in this room, every member of Beacon Baptist Church, to go higher and higher to higher ground. Define that blessed life. You know, I don't know if you picked up on this or not. But society is getting kind of weird. <laughs> I take it you've picked up on that. Amen. <laughs> and you know, I don't mean everybody, everyday folk necessarily. But really the ones in power, the ones with influence... The ones with the loudest microphone and social media and elsewhere, the most leverage, the highest positions, a lot of lunatics are kind of running the asylum. And you know what history and scripture shows? You don't want to be with the crowd. You don't want to be with the crowd, the multitudes, and try to navigate these uncharted waters that our country and our society is in. You don't want to be with the crowd. You want to be with Christ. When you go up in the mountain and you hear the truths from the Lord himself and the Holy Spirit's with you, and you recognize, yes, it's harder, that that's the place where you will be marginalized and and made fun of and and separated, and you go up there and you find out that whose you are and who you are, you can navigate these waters with the Lord Jesus. But if you're just going along with the multitude or the great multitude, you will get swallowed up. These are strange days. It's the reason why the Hebrew writer said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together and the so much more as you see the day approaching. How about it? Are you down in the plane all the time? Is Jesus just your supplier just to make you happy? Hey, Jesus calls, time to tell him what I want. Is that all he is? Or are you going to go up higher? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I can say this much, beloved. As far as going up in the mountain with him and not just with the crowds of the multitudes, I'll say it as I said earlier in the message. He is God, he is Lord, and he is worthy. He's worthy of all of your heart and your mind and your soul. It's a sunny morning crowd, as they call it. That's fine. That's fine. Because every... Person here on this Lord's Day Sunday morning needs to be reminded that there's a difference between the great multitudes and the disciples. And God is calling you. Jesus, your Lord, is saying to you, Follow me. And ultimately, sometimes that leads to the cross, for sure, your cross that you carry. Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today and, and I'm saved by the grace of God, by his mercy. And his goodness, I've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If I were to die today, I'd go to heaven. However, I needed this reminder. In this society that is full of creature comforts and ease. And full of multitudes of people who claim to follow Jesus. I need to be reminded that there's a dichotomy in the Gospels. That there's a difference between being a so-called follower and a disciple. And Pastor Blalock, though I'm saved, I want to be the latter. I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. With heads about and eyes closed, who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building and God bless you and praise the Lord for that? Maybe you're here today in a group this size, of course. There would be some. And you would say, Pastor Blalock, I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm even a follower. But I want to be. I wanna be a child of the living God. I won't come down to you, I won't embarrass you, but I would love to pray for you. Pastor Blake, that's me. I'm not certain that I'm saved today, but I'd like to be certain. Would you pray for me with heads bowed, eyes closed? Who would lift your hand to that end? Anyone here? Not sure about your own, even at home, raise your hand. There you go, God bless you. Anyone at home, raise your hand there as well. I'm not sure about my salvation. We're gonna pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. And if God has spoken to your heart, I hope you obey it. I hope some of our young people will decide now, while you're young, as we sing the hymn, Who's on the Lord's Side? Make decisions based on your loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. One of our young ladies just recently told me that she made a decision that's not popular in society, and i got to tell you, it's not even popular in a lot of Christian societies. But she made a decision about a young man, and it was the wisest thing though not the easiest thing. May God help us to do this constantly and always with everything. Father in heaven, bless the invitation. We're so grateful for your word. We are so grateful, Father, for those examples of your disciples who followed you. We see them later in the book of Acts and in the epistles, and even as on Wednesday nights, the book of Revelation, they continued to follow. If you were on the mountain teaching truths and doctrines, calling for devotion and discipleship they were there and may we be included among them may all of us father be willing in these uncharted waters to let christ be our pilot our guide our foundation bless these who've asked for prayer to that end and for those who are not saved lord use this time in their hearts as well in jesus precious name amen on behalf of everyone at beacon baptist church we thank you for joining us today Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.